they're still thinking about how they can help other people. And Lord, help us not to lose that spirit. Help us not to be so consumed with our grief and loss that we, that we forget the joy of helping others. And uh, God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And he's going to begin a series whenever he preaches. He's going to continue in a series in 1 Thessalonians. So if you'd open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I guess we can go ahead and dismiss the children for um, children's church and pre-K children's church as well. We can do that at this time. It is good to see everyone this morning, um, especially after a tough week for everyone. So glad you're all here this morning. Uh, like Ken said, we'll be going through First Thessalonians whenever I come up to, to preach. Um, and so I'm grateful for that opportunity. Uh, when uh, I was in seminary, towards the end of my time in seminary, I took part in an internship at a church called Northwest Bible Church. Uh, larger church, a couple thousand people, and they, uh, they ministered to um, uh, refugees in the area of Dallas. And uh, Dallas was a hub for refugees at the time, uh, probably still is, and refugees from different areas of Burma and Bhutan and Africa um, who were being... Um, I don't want to say persecuted, but there were civil wars and civil strife within their, within their countries, and they were experiencing life-threatening danger, and so they, they fled, and they, they made to Dallas. And this church uh, would go to the refugees. They were all in this specific apartment, a uh, set of apartment complexes, and they would uh, help them acclimate to life in America, and teaching English, helping them get a job, all that type of thing, and sharing the gospel with them. So eventually... Um, many of them came to know Jesus Christ and started going to the church. But the problem was that they didn't speak much English or they were in the process of learning English. So going to church and sitting in a service like this wasn't beneficial for them. So what they ended up doing was the, uh, there was enough people and enough different, different people from different countries that in the afternoons on Sundays they would have uh, these, they would have four separate church services all throughout this church. One for the Bhutanese people, one for the Burmese, and two for the different countries 
from Africa. And so there would be these four different churches, and they would, uh, there would be these pastors, these wonderful, compassionate, loving uh, pastors and leaders in these small churches. But the problem for them was that they didn't have any training. And so the internship was a really cool opportunity where we got to set up a class for them, a course, a set of courses for very simple Bible and theology training. And so we, we set up the course. I got some other DTS students. It was a really neat and exciting thing, probably a, a, a little similar to what you do, Ken, uh, in Cameroon and uh, El Salvador. And uh, so we, we just had a wonderful time. And I was, I remember these, these pastors, they were so encouraging. They uh, loved their congregation so much. They were there every, sun, every Sunday or every time we met, and they were desperate to learn the Bible. They were desperate to learn theology. They were desperate to learn how to teach the Bible to their congregation so that their congregation may know God. And, uh, and I, I remember it's just especially difficult because they are uh, learning all of these things in a second language, a second language that they were freshly learning. But their compassion and love for their congregation was such an encouragement and a blessing to me. And so I was just so immensely thankful for those pastors and for that ministry. And they encouraged me and uh, in my walk, in my faith, uh, in my value of learning the Bible as well. And today we are looking at the church in Thessalonica, and Paul has similar feelings towards this church. He's extraordinarily thankful for this church who, despite all the persecution that this church is going through, he is, uh, they have stayed faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's a, that's a theme we're going to be seeing in the book of 1 Thessalonians, is uh, Paul's gratitude and thankfulness for, to God for this church and for their faithfulness. Um, and so that's what we're getting into today. We'll just uh, get into the first five, five verses, and that'll help set the theme and set the tone for the, the rest of the book, really, these first five verses. So uh, as far as context go, I think it's, uh, it's helpful to look at just the first verse, First Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So as in a lot of uh, books of the Bible, the first few verses give us a, a good amount of context of what's going on in the book. And so in this one is Paul writing to the church of Thess- Thessalonica and, uh, with Silvanus and Timothy. And uh, we know Silvanus as Silas in the book of Acts. Um, and so the church of Thessalonica, of course, is at the city of Thessalonica. It's at the northwest corner of the Aegean Sea. It's a important seaport of the Roman province of Macedonia, and it was, uh, it was estimated to have about a population of 200,000 people because it was a seaport, because it had a, a significant trade route running through it, and it had a variety of different ethnicities and nationalities, Greeks, Roman Jews, etc. Uh, so, massive town, important city, variety of different kind of peoples. The Greek pagan and 
Roman religions were dominant during this time. Um, and we see that some of these false idols must have continued to be a temptation to the Thess- Thessalonian Christians in a variety of ways, because Paul discusses that a little bit later on in the book. Um, but we see that the church is going through a lot of persecution uh, in this letter. And uh, Andrew Talbert, in his uh, contribution uh, to a commentary on this on this uh, letter, tells us about uh, a few ways that Christians might be in conflict with the, Thessala, the authorities of Thessalonica. So one, the first way, is that inhabitants of Thessalonica would have had to make regular offerings to the emperor at the temple. The Christian faith entailed exclusive worship, of course, to uh, Jesus Christ as Lord, and the willingness to offer a sacrifice to the emperor later would become the standard test of whether an individual was a Christian or not. So there's your first source of conflicts, uh, conflict. The second one, Christians use the Greek term kurios, which of course means Lord, a title typically reserved for the emperor to refer to Jesus Christ. Paul's assertion that there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, would have been particularly controversial. And then third, uh, Paul's assertion in the fifth chapter of this book that the day of the Lord will come suddenly upon those who are saying there is peace and security appears to challenge the concept of the uh, Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which emphasized the stability that the emperor brought to the empire. Um, As with the term Lord, the Pax Romana was an important element undergirding and used within the imperial religion. And so you will see these uh, accusations that are tossed about, especially in uh, Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, uh, tells us how the church in Thessalonica was founded and tells us what exactly happened whenever Paul and Silas were going and ministering there and sharing the gospel. So I'll, let's, I'll read it to you now. Uh, Acts chapter 17, 1 through 9. It says, Now, when they, as Paul and Silas, had traveled through... Uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I, I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men have upset the world, who have upset the world, have come here also. And Jason was wel- well, has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. What we learn later on in the passage is that Paul and Silas had to leave because the persecution had become so great against the Christians. In Thessalonica. Um, 
And so we see here that Paul is at the city for around four weeks, probably longer, and he had successfully communicated the gospel to the Jews, God-fearing Gentiles, and women within that time frame, and they came to faith. But the Jews in Thessalonica were uh, particularly aggressive. And the uproar they caused and the accusations they spewed became so vicious that Paul and Silas had to evacuate the city. Um, and we see Jason is able to pay some sort of bond to authorities. We don't know exactly what that is. But uh, he and the church re- reader, our leaders are released. But we know from this letter in Second Thessalonians that the uh, persecution of the Christian church here only gets worse. So that's what is going on all around this letter. There's a faithful church in Thessalonica, um, and they are suffering severe persecution. And Paul and Silas, who were there for about a month and maybe longer, were forced to leave them in the midst of this persecution. And so Paul now is in Corinth, and Timothy has just come back from Thessalonica, giving Paul a report. And so you can imagine Paul is very eager to hear from them and to write back to them. And you can kind of hear that eagerness and that excitement he has for them and that they are uh, spiritually thriving. Um, He is excited and thankful for that. And so you can hear that in these first five verses here. Okay, so, uh, and then we see at the second part of this verse, we see just the common greeting that Paul gives in uh, many of his letters. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Okay, so we see the uh, authority um, and that this church is under, who the church worships, God the Father and Jesus Christ. And you see the equality given to them both there. When we were in Sunday school, we, started, we studied Acts 2, and we got to see some of the sermons given by Peter. And Peter is making the case for Christ, or for Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, that he is in the presence of God, that he shares in his glory, that he um, is the one responsible for salvation and sending out the Holy Spirit. And so we see that equality given here in the first uh, verse with God the Father and Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> so he wishes them grace and peace, and that's just the unmerited favor that God bestowed upon them in their faith and will continue to give them. And he wishes them peace in these times of turmoil. And of course, uh, to experience that kind of peace, you turn to the Prince of Peace. Um, so let's look, at, uh, let's look at verse 2. It's the third point in your bulletin. It says, gratitude for a faithful church. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. So, Paul continues this, his greeting in this verse. He says, we, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And uh, they're probably very looked up to by the church. Hearing from them would be very encouraging and uplifting. And uh, uh, one aspect that's missing from this uh, greeting is uh, Paul's indication that he usually says, Paul, the apostle, or bond slave of uh, uh, Christ Jesus, and uh, here, there doesn't seem to be any um, disagreement within the church whether or not Paul is an apostle, so maybe that's why it's not included, or this is one of the first uh, letters that Paul writes to these churches, and so maybe it's something he added letter, later, but here, 
Um, that, is a, that is something that is usually there that is not there now, and there's a number of reasons of why that could be. Um, but Paul gives thanks to God for all of them, every single one of them. Um, Paul has a genuine thankfulness for this church. This church brings him joy. Why? Because they persevere in their faith despite their persecution. So look at what Paul writes later in the letter in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 8. It says, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has, Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we are comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Um, so this introduction, he's extremely thankful for this church. If you compare that to other introductions from other letters, for example, the Galatians. Um, I don't have this up here, but it's in Galatians verse 3. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's very similar. Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. And it says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Okay, so there's a different introduction here. Um, there's an issue in the Galatian letter that Paul is uh, quickly addressing. And here in this letter, Paul is, is saying how thankful he is to hear for them, from them and how thankful he is uh, for their faithfulness. Um, how thankful he is to God for their faithfulness. So spiritual well-being of the Thessalonian church seems to be thriving, and Paul is extraordinarily grateful for it. And then uh, verse 3 states, it's continuing, it says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father, God and Father. So Paul is uh, constantly bearing in mind anytime he is reminded about um, their faithfulness, he lifts them up to prayer in God. And he's thankful for them. Um, he keeps in mind three specific items here, three specific qualities. Uh, they're not just random things. They're things that uh, he has intentionally included. The first one is uh, he bears in mind their work of faith. Now, work of faith, this isn't their work uh, that has attained faith. This is their uh, faith that has produced and is the reason behind their work. Um, This could be their evangelistic work that they continue to do uh, uh, despite their persecution. It could be their act of goodness to others or their loyalty to Christ in the face of persecution. But the idea is it is the faith that is the reason that they are able to continue working and doing the good things that they are doing. Second, Paul mentions their labor of love. This word for labor means an extraordinary effort. And when it's coupled with love, Paul is saying that these people's concern for others 
is so great that it doesn't stop at the ordinary effort. It pushes further. It goes the extra mile. Um, this church has demonstrated extraordinary love despite persecution that they are experiencing. And third, they had endurance, which means uh, a bearing up patiently under a heavy load. Um, they shared the heavy load of persecution, and yet they remained faithful. And, but why were they able to? Because of the hope they have in Jesus Christ, that he is Lord, and that he is returning. Okay, so this hope is a major theme all throughout the Thessalonian letter, 1 Thessalonians, I think in every chapter, it mentions that Christ is returning. All right, so there's hope in the midst of this persecution. They can keep persevering despite their circumstances because Christ will return because the gospel is true. And so Paul is reminding them of that. Um, these are the qualities that demonstrate themselves in the believers in this letter and that Paul is grateful for and that reminds Paul to continually be praying for them. And finally, in verses 4 and 5, it says next, it continues, verse 4, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And uh, next, Paul gives his readers an assurance of their faith, reminding them that they were chosen by God, that they are beloved by God, brethren, that they're brothers in Christ, and that they may know that the gospel that they have heard is true, not because of the eloquent speech of, of Paul or Silas or even Timothy, but because the gospel has exhibited power in them because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has convicted them, um, particularly about Jesus Christ and their part in sin. We see the Holy Spirit convicting uh, um, people all throughout the book of Acts in that capacity regarding their sin, their part in sin, and regarding the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, so the, the gospel didn't come in word only, but it came in the power of the Holy Spirit that's how you can know that uh, what you have believed is worth enduring this persecution for. And finally, Paul leaves them with the assurance that the people who they received the gospel from lived it out and did not just give them empty words or pretty speech, like I said before, but the thing, but the gospel that has changed and affected Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and affects, uh, it affects them in the same manner. The uh, the Apostle and Silas and Timothy were living this out, and uh, the church, as we'll see later on, will be imitators of them and be living it like they are. Um, and we'll see that in the next few chapters. So we, we see that the, uh, Paul's grateful for the faithfulness of the church, and we see it in action in verse 3 that they, uh, their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope, and we see the power of the gospel in verses 4 and 5, that the gospel is what changes and convicts them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why they can have hope, and that's why they can endure, and that's why they can keep going. So in conclusion, 
I don't have this point up there, so I want you to listen and write it down as I say it. In conclusion, Paul's appreciation for the church in 1 Thessalonians shows us that they are an example of how we should live in spite of circumstances. I'll read it. I'll say that again. Paul's appreciation for the church in 1 Thessalonians shows us that they are an example of how we should live in spite of our circumstances. One more time. Paul's appreciation for the church in 1 Thessalonians shows us that they are an example of how we should live in spite of our circumstances. Um, I find this particularly appropriate, considering what has happened in the past week with a, with a hurricane and how it has affected each one of us. Um, maybe, I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I am going through something like that, a disaster of that nat- nature, and uh, I, I tend to focus on myself and on my needs. Uh, this happened to us once before. It didn't happen this time, to us this time. Our house is fine, but once before when we were in Dallas, our apartment complex caught on fire and burned down and everything. We lost everything. <laughs> and uh, I was amazed at the outpouring of our family, friends, and the church that came to help us during that time. That was incredible. But at the same time, the entire time, all I can think of was woe is me. You know, I could only think of, man, all this, stu- all this terrible stuff is happening to me. And it was difficult for me to, uh, to serve and help others. Um, uh, and I, I, that is understandable and it's reasonable. But at the same time, ultimately, it's not helpful for us. Um, and so I would encourage you that in difficult circumstances to look to Jesus Christ, to continue to labor in love as you have, and to continue to allow your faith to be the reason for which you, the reason why you work and why you do the things you do and to be encouragement to you. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you, uh, thank you for this church. I thank you for this church's uh, willingness to, to help each other during difficult times, God. Um, I thank you, Lord, that even when, uh, I've just seen examples from people in this church, that even when they have lost things,